0: This is alice drager from east lansing info and we're on another edition of the east lansing insider a special edition to talk about the form-based code that's being considered for east lansing's um, downtown stretch it actually goes almost a mile stretching especially through the center of downtown and we have on with us today andrew graham who's been reporting on this for us but also dan bowman who is the chair of east lansing's planning commission also on the form-based code subcommittee of the planning commission that's been meeting for two years. And he's also a well-known architect in our area um, at his firm, East Arbor Architecture. And so we're going to talk today about what this form-based code thing is, uh, what are the perceived upsides, what are the perceived downsides, how can people participate in making this decision about whether or not East Lansing should switch over for this section. So basically, the, the form-based code is a concept that is meant to replace the existing zoning code. East Lansing has a very heavy-duty zoning code, I think it's fair to say, and it has a lot of instructions about what you can and cannot do on various types of properties. And it's very specific about what's called use, and that's what you can use a property for. So whether you can use it for residential or you use it for commercial, like industrial um, work or you use it for office work. And the foreign-based code is a really different way of thinking about zoning. So instead of heavily policing use, it tries to instead say, we're going to let up a lot on what it is you can use things for in terms of individual buildings. But what we're going to focus on is the experience of people basically outside the building, coming towards the building, passing by the building. It attempts to improve the public experience of a zoning area. So, for example, it tries to make things look a little more sensical in terms of being a little bit more similar to each other so that there's not a sort of riot of different architectural types that can be very jarring. Barring as you're walking down a street or driving down a street. It also tries to be welcoming and to feel safe. And so one of the things it's trying to do, for example, is to invite people to come to retail spaces, invite people to want to linger at coffee shops when there's not a pandemic. So this is the kind of approach. And this group has been working on what's called shaping the avenue for several years now. And it's now come to the planning commission for revision and for moving on to city council for a decision. If this passes, this will radically alter how zoning is worked on in the downtown area, in part because it'll change how projects are approved. So again, we have with us today, Dan Bowman. And Dan, I was wondering if you would first start by just adding or correcting anything I just said about this project.
1: No, I think that was, that was a terrific summary. Um, the, the The only thing I might take even just the smallest ex- exception to would be the um, idea that the, the architectural controls are going to have a significant impact on sort of providing some uniformity. I, 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 there's, I guess that remains to be tested. And as I'll talk about in a bit, I think, um, I think that the, the committee has worked pretty hard to try to remove as many obstacles as possible while still providing, at least I, I'll say a gentle hand in guiding the way buildings might look.
0: So, yeah, so this originally grew up out of a project, a grant fund that CATA had, the Capital Area Transit Authority, and that this had to do with originally um, trying to shape the avenue in part for what was called the BRT, the Bus Rapid Transit. The BRT fell away, but the grant allowed the East Lansing staff to hire a consultant, and when that consultant came forward, they brought a lot of sort of pre-World War II traditional okay. architecture, and you guys have largely said, ah, eh, we're not really wedded to that. Is that right?
1: You got that. That's exactly right. That I think that um, there were actually, I, th- I think there were like six different consultants that were involved in them. And one of them, and maybe the one you're talking about, was was actually a, a, a group based in uh, Florida that I had experience working with them during my time in South Carolina with a traditional neighborhood development. And so I, I know that the, what they were trying to do in South Carolina was to align the new the development where I was working with the the language that was part of the established language in the in the town in which this development was um, located. And so they were charged specifically in that case to write a code um, that uh, some say mimic, some say reflect um, the prevailing vernacular architecture in in that South Carolina town. So I know that they have a um, a, a capacity to sort of seek out the existing language, the existing vernacular, and to code that to try to find a way in which to replicate that. And I think that you're exactly right that um, one of the charges that we took upon ourselves is to question really whether that was an appropriate way to move East Lansing forward.
0: So one of the specifics, let's let's try to give people some visual idea of what we're talking about. One of the things you've um and your and the committee has entertained as a, a recommendation is a thing called the build to line. And so traditionally, what's happened with our zoning in East Lansing is we've had a situation where we've said you can not build too close to the right of way. And so we say, you, depending on the zone, you can build only up to three feet of the right of way. That's, for example, the sidewalk, or you must be 20 feet away, or you must be 25 feet away from the setback. So for example, when I built a um, accessory structure in my backyard. That's my office. I had to make sure it was three feet off the property line from the neighbors because it was in the backyard. What the form-based code we've got before us does very differently is it actually requires building to a particular line in order to sort of create some continuity in the streetscape as you go down the street. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. That's it's trying to establish a, a hold at that front line uh, pretty close to the sidewalk in most cases. But it, obviously when we get into more the more residential uh, portion of this of the proposed code, the the build to line would be set back significantly further from the sidewalk than those areas that were in the that are in the current downtown area or those closer to Grand River.
0: So one of the things I find interesting is that for the Grand River frontage, for example, where traditionally buildings have been built all the way up to the sidewalk, <laughs> the recommendation is actually to build back a little bit in order to create welcoming um, spaces in terms of the front yard of those. I mean, it's funny to say front yard because it's not a yard, but that front space to allow space, for example, sidewalk sales more easily and to allow for cafe tables.
1: That's that's correct. And it's it's a bit of an anomaly in the way that we, I guess... The, the benefit for having the, the, the current situation in Grand River is that the sidewalk is so very wide that it doesn't really impede traffic if you put a couple of cafe tables out. So um, whether that makes for a pleasant, um, you know, whether the, the sort of busy traffic on Grand River provides for a pleasant atmosphere in which to enjoy your coffee or your bagel or your sandwich or whatever, I guess it's for other people to decide. But, you know, those places where we do see uh, Again, the cafe tables put out like say, well, in front of Campbell's Market or the um the plaza just to the west of there where um uh the Federal Credit Union has its current yeah, peanut office barrel, yeah. yeah yeah there we go thank you I was trying to think of some of the other, the other uh, businesses that are in that area um, just, yeah, we certainly see people um, using that those spaces and of course those sit way back those sit significantly further back than what we would typically see so we've sort of we've, we've got a hand that we've dealt with that we've been dealt and you and I have spoken about this particular subject before I suspect we'll talk about it shortly that we're we're trying to overlay uh, a. Uh, for form a form of zoning that focuses on form in a, a in an area where we've already got forms we've already got stuff that's in place and and how are we going to address the the difference between what we've got and what we say we want or what we think we want
0: so this really would replace the existing zoning code for the district where it would be adopted is that right yeah,
1: that's absolutely correct so the the what is currently the b three district are with um, our city center district or sort of our downtown area is, is entirely um, enveloped I guess it's sort of included in the, in the this, the Avenue form district which is what the official name of the um, this zoning district is going to be called. Um, likewise the, the East Village zone is is entirely located within the Avenue form district and then there's a couple of other uh, current zoning classifications that are, clearly not all included within the, the Avenue Form District. Um, the B4, which is our retail sales district, which sort of, when you continue east from the downtown, from, um, I'm gonna not get the exact street right, but say about Collingwood or Bailey east on the north side of Grand River, we're looking at what we call the, the retail sales district. And then some of the, um, as we start to get back into the, into the neighborhoods, um, the, uh, what is currently, say, for instance, a portion of the the R three, the single and two-family zone, is going to be replaced, potentially replaced by the by the Avenue form district. So a couple of them are going to go away, uh, B three and and East Village, if I'm not mistaken, and then some of them, of course, just sort of certain portions of them will be replaced by this, the Avenue Form District.
0: And so this this does poke into the residential sections of the Bailey neighborhood, a little bit of the Oakwood neighborhood, a little bit of Brookfield plot, the Brookfield Heritage neighborhood just on the edge over there. So it does also impact some residential neighborhoods.
1: It, it potentially does. That's correct.
0: Okay, great. Um, Andrew, did you have any questions you wanted to hop in with right now? I, I know we're talking kind of intensely. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about, and this is something that Dan, you touched on we're going to get to is that that modification of you're applying a a form based development code to a place where there's already forms. So I was just curious to learn more about the process of modification, retrofitting, changing things with existing structures in the area if this plan were approved.
1: Sure. So the. The, the I, I've got the document here in front of me, so I'll, I'll try not to quote chapter and verse without sort of knowing exactly what I'm talking about. But there's a portion of the um, um, the code that re- refers to the administration of, of you know ultimately where these where these uh, regulations are going to be uh, apply, and I guess to a certain degree, to what degree they will apply. So if we're dealing with let's say existing buildings, and and uh, the proposal is to make them what we're referring to as a I think we call it a minor expansion, um, say less than 20% of the building area, then the expectation is that certain elements of the addition only would be expected to meet the um, uh, portions of the code. Say for instance, if somebody were to do, do an addition to a commercial building and it were relatively small, they would only be expected to, they would need to meet the use, they would need to meet the portion of the code that refers to the elements, say the the window openings, the number of windows and the size of the windows. Um, the architectural standards, including, say, um, the use of different materials, um, and just the uh, thinking about some of the other things that might be included. Um, but the, the point being is that if it's a relatively small uh, modification or addition, the only a certain portion of the the Avenue Form District standards would need to be met.
0: So you're saying right. in, in a twenty percent case, on
1: the addition. Pardon me.
2: And sorry, we talked over yeah, each yeah, other. That's fine. That, that's fine. <laughs> um, just to be clear, that would be the the forms apply and the standards apply on whatever addition is being built in that's this correct. minor expansion.
1: That's, that okay. is correct. Yes. So, so if, not the entire if, building. That's correct. Exactly. So and and that's this is that's an area that we went around and we you know, we knew what we were trying to get at, but we were sort of ran around, around a, a fair number of times in the in the committee trying to figure out specifically what what sort of things would be expected. Um, If you're just doing a relatively small modification or addition, um, say, you know, for instance, uh, let's just say we've got a um, a building that's set back significantly from the build to line, you know, the line at which you must place the building and a minor addition is proposed. You know, do we, are we going to expect that that addition is somehow placed at that building, that build two line with no or very sort of difficult connection to the main building? So that seemed to be you know, pretty unreasonable that we're sort of, if we're just doing a small addition, of course, you're going to place that near the building. You're going to, to put it right up against the building. You're going to try to share as much wall as possible, presumably. But that the elements that are included in that would presume, would be presumed to have to meet the, um, the, the district code. Again, size of windows, use of particular materials, the use that's included inside that that addition.
0: Are you concerned at all that that could lead to Franken buildings? Mm-hmm. Because you, you've got a, tradi- a building of a particular style, and now you're requiring a different sort of style?
1: Yeah, that's always going to be a concern. I, I, I have a reasonable amount of faith in my um, fellow design professionals that we're going to see a way through that. To be fair, the um, you know not knowing specifically what the um, you know what proposal is being made regarding the materials, um, as you as you know I've um I have a background in historic preservation and um, served on the historic district commission in several cities. Um, before I moved ke- before I moved here and and served for six years on our historic district commission, the um, one of the standards that the historic district commission typically follows is that additions are are specifically to be um, Uh, made to be differentiated from the main building. And there are different ways of taking a look at that. You know, is it a matter of just sort of changing from uh, a horizontal siding to a vertical siding? Or is it it enough to say that you're going to change from a horizontal siding that has an eight-inch exposure to one that's got a four-inch exposure? Or do you do, you know, totally glass up against brick, right? So that the the difference is presumably in the, um, you know, up to the owner and the uh, the designer, if there is one, um, but tempered by the historic district commission and their thoughts about how those should be differentiated. So th- I guess that's always going to be a danger when you do any sort of addition, right? Whether there's regulations regarding uh, materials that could be used or not. So, and sometimes it works successfully and sometimes less so. I mean, the the sort of the grand example that people always call fall back to is the, you know, the pyramid at the Louvre, right? That that doesn't look anything like the uh, the. I guess it's Baroque style of the main building, but the architect there, I.M. Pei, had a vision, and I think it worked pretty well. And I was going to um, say, if
0: we could get I.M. Pei down on Grand River, Outland, that'd
1: be awesome. Awesome, but that would But then he died a couple of years ago. that, Darn, that, would, that, that would have been great. Otherwise, I'm
0: sure he would have come and redesigned no, oh, no buildings doubt. that are problematic. So let's, let's talk about that. So say somebody wants to do that and there's a 20% difference or they want to redo a whole building, who's going to approve yeah.
1: this? um so that maybe that gets into the question of, of the administration of this particular portion of the code i'm again i'm i'm using that as a as a bit of a crib sheet here um but maybe i could talk about that specifically and then generally speaking about how the the code ultimately would be administered so i'm looking at again i'm looking at specifically at page 7 of the code in the most current draft and a minor expansion of up to 20% of the building area currently would allow for again if it meets the um the guidelines that are established within the, the Avenue Form District Code the a minor expansion of up to 20% of the building area could potentially be approved by city staff so right now the the table that 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 is part of the code that is again hasn't been approved by hasn't been recommended by the planning commission has certainly not been approved by city council allows for the the possibility that a minor expansion of less than 20% of the building area could potentially be approved by City staff,
0: and it there would not a, be approved by city staff on the basis of we think this looks great or we think this doesn't look great. It would be does it fit the code? Does it not correct. fit the code? And if it fits that, the code, we're done, right?
1: That's correct, with one caveat. The sort of if again, a, a people that happen to have the um, the code in front of them will see that there's an additional uh, and, and any place. I think that in fact, I'm looking at the again I'm looking at the code right now. The two places where that allows for solely you know approval solely by staff allows them an out in which they can refer that um, proposal to the Planning Commission for consideration if they're not comfortable with it. But so, the Planning
0: Commission would then approve it, not City Council.
1: That's correct. There is no, and then again, that that sort of opens up the, the larger picture is that th- that would require that our current council or the council that, that sees this when it's placed, you know, put before them for a re- review and approval, they'll actually have to grant the the um, authority of the Planning Commission to make that final uh, decision. I don't know specifically what mechanism it is, but of course right now our review process requires that City Council see site plans for review um, and approval, and that if they're on board with the way that this the, the Avenue Form District Code is structured, they would cede that um, authority to the Planning Commission on relatively straightforward uh, property or um, proposal, say for instance things that require incentives, that uh, where a proposal is asking for uh, heights above what is currently permitted by right, still goes to city council. If they're looking for something that's significantly larger than typical, in this case larger than twenty thousand square feet, the that would be required that would be required to be reviewed by city council. Um, Special use permits still go to council. Rezoning requests still go to city council. So there are a couple of things that that help to streamline this process if city council chooses to grant the planning commission the authority to do so. But that's um, one of the things I think that I find potentially attractive about this, the way this is being structured, is that the current process by which we re- review site plans is it can be it can take several months, even if, even if the, the proposal, even if the applicant has all their information ready to go, um, you're still looking at administrative review, potentially two planning commission meetings, and then city council review. And given that planning commission meets once every two weeks, and then only then does it typically get scheduled for review by city council, you know, you're looking at several months, whether or not that makes a big difference to most developers or, or um, not. I couldn't say, but it seems to me that if we can streamline that safely, um, because there are there are certain benefits, of course, to sort of slowing that particular effort down. But if it can be done safely and um, still provide the public the opportunity to comment on projects, I think that would be a good thing.
0: So we should note that there in in many municipalities in Michigan, planning commissions do approve projects that East Lansing is really. I'm told by a lot of developers, very unusual in how difficult it is to get to the uh, finish line. Um, and I think you know some people in East Lansing have liked that because it allows a lot of citizen input along the way, but um, developers have not been particularly thrilled with how challenging that whole system can be and how planning commission can say one thing and city council will say uh, absolutely the opposite, which can lead to lots of issues in terms of predictability of what will be approved or not approved. So tell us for example, um, how tall a building could a developer build with just either staff or um, planning commission approval in this current conception of the draft code?
1: So the there are three categories in which uh, planning commission approval would be the, the last step. Um, one of them is a minor expansion of a building of uh, 20%, up to 20% of the building area. The second one, and we spent way too much time, I think, on this, but it is an important issue, potentially, the extension, the of expansion of a parking lot area by more than 10% from the approved site plan. That actually could potentially be approved by staff, but if they're not comfortable with that, that could be moved to Planning Commission for their review and approval. Um, excuse me, there's actually, there's one more than, um, there are two more. Now I'm reading the table a little bit more carefully now. Um, modification to architectural elements or standards could potentially be approved um, by Planning Commission. That seems to be a pretty sensible place to put that, given that we're, at least for now, what, the three of us have been uh, pretty uh, uh, involved in, in what might be the best way to, um, to i would say, control or uh, um, say, limit, perhaps, the architectural elements or standards. Um, a major expansion of 21% or more of the building area that doesn't include a, um, a, a particularly large building or doesn't require incentives could potentially be approved by the planning commission. And then the final one is, and here's your, 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 it gets to the heart of your question, perhaps a new development four stories or less with a footprint of less than, or 20,000 square feet or less.
0: So that could be approved without ever getting to city council.
1: That's, again, if, if city council agrees that that's the right way to take this, yes.
0: And the notion is that um, it's supposed to be somewhat use agnostic in terms of what happens <laughs> inside the building. So for example, there's been um, a rule pretty strongly against four bedroom apartments in downtown East Lansing because of the notion that these are just student attracting and they don't attract other kinds of folks. Does this, would this allow for bedroom apartments um, to be built in say a less than 20,000 square foot thing with no approval from city council?
1: The, so I actually can't speak specific. I would I would have to to dig a little bit more to find out specifically that you know the answer to that question. But my expectation is that you're exactly right that there are places that currently are protected by say the um I'm thinking about um, I believe that that Ordinance 900 is uh, impacts the the R2 zone which potentially overlaps the um the, the area that's going to be included in the Avenue Forum District and so those properties that are currently um, kept to a oh it's a Two or fewer related people, if if they are included in the um, the Avenue Form District, that one presumes that that particular restriction will be will go away. Um, it's it's funny that sorry this is slightly anecdotal and doesn't still doesn't answer the question that you've asked because truly truly I don't know although I do believe you are correct. Um, the when we were reviewing a property for a, a large development a couple of years ago the. Um, one of the the developer spokesperson uh, had had the, the proposal was to include four bedroom apartments in in this particular propo in this particular development or the attempt was to um, maybe a little bit later to try to modify the code that was in cor- that 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 ultimately impacted this particular development and the um, the spokesperson for the development it actually makes for a pretty funny story frankly that one bedroom apartments are um, are you know sort of certainly popular and sell two bedrooms same. Um, in other markets where they were have, where they've been permitted to, they found that four bedroom apartments are fine, but that three bedroom apartments were were tricky because what generally would happen is that two of the roommates got along and the, sort of the third one and it might have been you know might have rotated might not always been the third the same person, but that they generally found that the that they were sort of it ended up being almost a two on one situation that the sort of three bedroom apartments just weren't as popular as as uh, the ones twos and fours. Uh, so
0: let let's imagine that a person is walking down Albert Avenue east of MAC and this code has worked and it's led to hmm. lots of redevelopment under the code. How would that area look different?
1: So are you saying that the the entire code would have has been applied to that 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 structure? Yes, so of, let's of, let's
0: imagine of, a fantasy <laughs> in which um, uh, lots of money gets reinvested in those properties, and the developers are happy to do that and use this code, and they redevelop that whole area along there, which is all owned by either landlords or commercial um, retail space owners.
1: Sure. So the I mean, if we start at MAC, if we start um, on the north side of, of MAC and start walking east, of course, we, the first thing we'd get to is the Marriott, which it's certainly built to the the um, front edge of the, or the back edge of the sidewalk, but, but that first, I don't know, 20 or so feet is taken up by um, plazas and patios. And typically the way that the code is written, I, I think that um, it certainly allows for the opportunity for plazas. And so maybe that would be found to fit the, the code as it's written. In fact, I, um, I'm gonna just I'm gonna sort of keep moving east and leave that um, leave that basically saying that that effectively meets um, in as much as there's a plaza and the, the building itself even though there's a there's a setback um, before you actually get to the front door could that could that area be um, could that area be sort of enclosed and, and provided with um, sort of enclosed usable rentable space closer to the sidewalk potentially um, the, the issue as you start to walk east of course is that the sidewalk drops off and the the floor um, as you were you can walk in immediately at grade if you' come off of MAC but as you go further and further east the the, the, the building itself effectively rises so it's more difficult to get an at grade entrance um, at least on that first block so let's let's if, if I may con- oh, actually then on the south side of the street you've got the city center ramp um, buildings um, and I think that those are, in as much as they're built perhaps too close to the sidewalk, right? They should, This is that that conundrum we had when we're talking about the, sort of the things along Grand River are, are built up to the sidewalk, and I presume it's the same situation on Albert, that the, um, the you know their rate to the property line. So unless somebody sees it sees fit to move those buildings back five feet, the, um, I suspect that those are probably going to be considered. Um, sort of, uh, if, if existing non-conforming, um, existing non-conforming in an acceptable manner. That's, that's, it's, it's, that's kind of a weaselly way around it, but that's probably the best I can do in terms of, the, I just can't see anybody shifting a building back five feet in order to meet the code, particularly because it's doing exactly what, what, is, what is hoped for, right? It's shaping the exterior space, it's providing for a well-defined, ideally safe, ideally attractive uh, public space that's shaped by the, the edge of the building. And you actually have the same sort of thing as you get along the north side. That that raised plaza makes for a it makes for a really nice. Uh, if you're if you're hanging out in that plaza, it's it's lovely and sunny. It's defined by two walls of the building the, on the west and on the north side. It's it's elevated above the sidewalk, so you sort of have a certain amount of you know you can see people are coming and going. It has uh, two you know a way, one a way in and a way out. So if you feel threatened, you can. You can easily exit, you know, away from the thread. It's got sort of the, all the, the things that William White would check off as being an, to my way of thinking, an ideal public space. So,
0: so why is it so rarely used? Yeah, that's
1: we, you know, what we, <laughs> that came up relatively recently. I was um, with um, Adam Cummins, the the he's the DDA. Uh, I'm not sure what his title is, but he works with the city with um with the DDA, and he's he's um, working right now to get um to try to encourage people to use downtown despite the, the coming cold um, weather. And um, he's, he's of a mind that the reason that it's not used is because there's no amenities there in which to sit or hang out. He said that they, they put a couple of tables in there and they found that, of course, it was a little earlier, so it was still warmer, that they were used pretty frequently.
0: Yeah, it's um, interesting that that space has been so dead. I mean, you know, talking of plazas. So when I we had a little um, reporters' gang meeting last night virtually on for Eli, and since we were going to be talking about this today, I asked the reporters who were there, who range a lot in ages and backgrounds and stuff, where what are spaces you really love in East Lansing? And a lot of people named the space in front of Peanut Barrel and in that whole plaza yeah. area. And it's funny to me because that would not exist under this form-based code. You've got mature trees that are set back fairly far. You've got a really big open plaza space. Um, You've got buildings that are only one story tall, and this really wants a (laughs) minimum of four stories. This doesn't look at all like what is anticipated um, in this code, and yet it's a space that a lot of people named as a space they love to occupy and love to go to.
1: Sure. and that um, Actually, that particular space was one we referred back to repeatedly when we were talking about the public realm standards, which is part five of the of the um, the code, the I'm flipping through it right now. There are particular there are portions of. Excuse me. I mean, maybe I'm looking in the wrong area. There we go. Um, there's a portion that touches on plazas and civic greens, and so there's specifics about um, how big. The, the plaza would need to be, and there's specifics about the ratio so that it's not too long and skinny. But in cases where, say for instance, like that particular plaza, now clearly you, there's no way that you can change the, the, the or, or sort of reinterpret the code to make a short building taller, right? That, that's, if, if that area is going to be redeveloped, the hope, the expectation is that the buildings would be built taller. But there's there's no reason why you couldn't front the um, provide frontage as the plaza, and then essentially just change that that build two line to the back of the plaza. So that particular area it, it would fit in with the code. Clearly, you don't want that, or I wouldn't think you would want that everywhere up and down Grand River. But that is a really pretty special little space, oddly shaped as it is, right facing Grand River. Um, but it's it certainly gets a lot of use. And it's, it's something where the way that, that, that could be, it would be permitted in the code with the idea that this is a plaza or potentially a civic green that is placed effectively at, at the I mean, you would basically change the location of the, of the build to line to the back of the plaza or the back of the green. Um, we, did, we talked about ultimately how to structure that and the specifics escape me right now, but it seemed to us, as you say, um as your as your staff said that it's you know it's a pleasant space, and ple- people have you know come to love it. And, you know if, if we had more of those, would they get used? How do we how do we um, accommodate that in this code that tends to, by and large, you know, sort of you know part of the the um, the overwhelming intent of the code is to to hold that street line, but there clearly are going to be places where you have a little bit of relief from that. And if you can make that relief something that's significant and lovely, why not?
0: So the whole idea behind this of of increasing sort of the requirements of how you build, what developers are supposed to get in exchange for that is getting easier approval and also getting more freedom of use. Are they in this code? We've already talked a little bit about the approval. Do you really feel that the approval would be easier? Do you really feel that the uses would be let up? Would the developers get what they want? And would they say, oh, yeah, this is a great code. And now I'm going to reinvest in a way I haven't before. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> um, if you build it, they will come. Uh, I, 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 I really doubt it. I mean, I I mean, I, I can't say that, you know, I, can't, I don't think they're going to line up just because the code's been rewritten. They, and I think, I do believe that the intent, of course, is to streamline the process, one, and I think it does that, or at least, again, presuming that council um, cedes the authority to the planning commission. It, um, it also is supposed to provide a certain amount of, of um, uh, certainty for the, the owner, the, the developer, the, um, the property owner, and their design team. So that armed with the information that they have regarding the architectural standards and the, the form standards, the building form standards, that they will know coming out of the gate, if we meet all of these provisions, there's no reason why the planning commission shouldn't say this, this meets, this is good, proceed. And that again, if it if it goes on to council, if it's one of those uh, properties that requires council review, then indeed there will be. um, There's no reason why they couldn't approve it. Now, having said that, I'm I'm, there's certainly been times in the past that I'm aware of where council has decided that 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 maybe they're going to add provisions at the last minute. Um, Could that be done in the future? I mean, the fact that it's potentially done now that it's done now or it has been done, um, means that I, I suppose it's entirely possible that it could happen in the future. I'd like to think that it won't, but you know, time will tell.
0: So, um, I mean, one of the impetuses for this code, according to city staff, is that the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, uh, the MEDC, which is the state-level economic development corporation, mm-hmm has resources available that East Lansing might be able to get their hands on if we become what's called a redevelopment ready city. And the idea is to do a form-based code in part because it's supposed to make life easier for developers. And what I heard you just say is you're not convinced this really will make developers have an easier time. I'm not sure, sure. If people in East Lansing want to make that easier in general, but for, from the point of view of MEDC, that's supposed to be the goal, right? Is to make life easier. And the our zoning code, as it currently exists, is a bear.
1: All right. So, um, a couple of things. First off, I do think that it would make things easier if, if, if council and ultimately, I suppose, the planning commission. You know, they're sort of limited, to my way of thinking, by what is written in the code. Right. There are times that I've seen things that that come before the planning commission that I'm that I don't like. Um, and But they're supported by the ordinance and because I'm not the, ultimately the authority, I'm comfortable saying this is something that we really shouldn't be permitting, knowing full well that council has to approve it. Um, so I think that if council, uh, the, the makeup of whatever future current council is on board with the, the, the requirements of the form-based code, then I don't see any reason why a developer or property owner shouldn't feel comfortable with saying, look, I met all your, all your guidelines I spent all this money on the design professionals early on so that you could get inf- good information because you've got these guidelines established that I don't see any reason why it shouldn't proceed. But, but am I, you know, have I seen it happen in the past where it hasn't worked that way? Of course. And so I, so I, so I guess, you know, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic, but I do think that the way that it's written will streamline the process and make uh, and provide for a certain amount of, of clarity and what was in, that, what is being proposed is indeed what is intended by the code.
0: So, let, let's say a developer comes forward, they want to do something, and the, there's something that is not in conformance with this code, and the planning commission says, We can do all this, but you can't do that. The way the law currently is, and I presume it would remain, is that the appeal goes to the Zoning Board of Appeals. So, in this case, could somebody go to the ZBA and basically <laughs> overrun the Planning Commission on this code?
1: Yeah, and that's that, that's I'm afraid the question for David or Darcy. My that's my expectation is that the, ultimately it is a zoning. Um, I mean, it's in as much as it's uh, shaped by members of the Planning Commission. Ultimately, it becomes a zoning ordinance, and that. There are provisions, as I'd mentioned earlier, there are provisions within the ordinance that, that could potentially be changed. Say, for instance, I guess, you know, not knowing exactly what extent of, of, of um, change you're talking about, but say, for instance, if if the proposal just requires or, or re- requests some changes to, say, the architectural elements, say some of the, the finishes or um, window size or percentage of fenestration, that's something that potentially could be Approved by the Planning Commission, and one presumes that if it's if it's approved by the Planning Commission, it would probably, I would think, it would probably be ultimately drafted back into the ordinance. So, you know, suddenly we're allowing uh, some material that's not currently on the list of a pre-approved materials is not will then be added to that list. So, I don't know that that really answers the question because I'm um because I'm thinking, you know, if depending on the the degree to which changes might be requested, but yes as I understand it, given that it's it's ultimately it's a zoning code, that that would go before the Zoning Board of Appeals for any appeals.
0: This then, I think, takes us to a conversation about the East Village. So for people (laughs) who don't know where the East Village is, this is the area which includes Cedar Village, it includes the hub, and it goes all the way to Hagedorn. So it's basically bordered by Bogue Street, by Grand River Avenue, by Hagedorn, and by the Red Cedar River. So if you think of... Um, the Cedar Village moving north, moving east, moving west, including the hub, which is that very tall building um, at Bogue Street and Grand River Avenue that was built about two years ago now. That's the area we're talking about. Back in the early part of the 2000s, um, East Lansing had a, uh, (laughs) looking back on it, I have to say, pipe dream um, (laughs) concept of redoing the whole East Village. The idea was that they chose this developer who would come in and buy up all this land and create this enormous new development, which would be mostly owner-occupied condos, tall buildings, owner-occupied condos. There would be fabulous retail spaces, et cetera, et cetera. And so to do this, they created a form-based code. And that code basically said you had to build according to the vision of this redevelopment. And um, the city has long blamed the reason it didn't happen on the crash of 2007, 2008, but that's not really what happened if you look back in the records it's clear and you talk to the property owners there it's clear the guy didn't own the properties right and he the landlords wouldn't sell and the reason the landlords wouldn't sell is because the properties they had were making them enough money that they had no interest in selling And so East Village stalled. And the consequence of that was that landlords over there who owned older stock rental housing had a hell of a time trying to do even basic improvements on their properties because they were told over and over again, your properties are nonconforming according to the new code, which was the special East Village code. And they couldn't get even basic kinds of repairs done without special appeals, which really drove a lot of them crazy, understandably. And then uh, CORE Campus came in with their attorney, who's David Pearson, not the David you referred to, we should note, the David (sighs) you were talking about is David Haywood and Darcy Schmidt of the planning department. But the hub folks came in, basically wheedled their way through that code by doing a combination of following the parts they liked and convincing the city to change the parts they didn't like. And now what we have is all this older rental housing and this giant new building, the the hub. And the East village is, I mean, I wrote an article talking about whether or not it's a cautionary tale about form-based code. It is an example of something that happened with a particular vision that really tried to do something that was economically not feasible because the properties were already very well built up and producing enough money that the developers and the landlords did not have an incentive to move forward under this elaborate code. So talk to us about what you think has been learned from East Village and what you're trying to avoid with that situation in this new
1: code. Right, and it's certainly not my position to defend um, what happened there, and I know you're not asking right. me to do that. I understand. Um, but my understanding was that 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 the expectation was that well, I, I would second having spoken with at least one of the property owners in that area um, several times about about the um, the process by which the East Village code was established was that they hadn't been. Um, uh, you know, spoken with, right? They weren't, they didn't provide any input. And that, again, my, this precedes my arrival here, or, or maybe it, it started happening right about the time I was, I had moved to East Lansing, um, that the expectation, what it was going to be developed wholesale. So it wasn't going to be something where the individual properties would slowly change over time, but that, as you say, it was going to be something where the slate was going to be wiped clean effectively. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, the intention of building out some sort of like water feature, I seem to remember in a render. Yes. It was I mean, this it was really
0: bizarre. Was, yeah, it was, it was, <laughs> I have to say, it's the weirdest little drawing. It's a uh, drawing of a marina built right. off of the Grand River where it's got like little sailboats in it and stuff. It was quite charming a picture, but right. it, I, from my point of view, a little bit of a pipe dream.
1: Sure. I mean, Mies van der Rohe used to say, um, I, I, don't, I don't care to be interesting. I want to do good work. I don't want to do interesting work. And I would say that that was most definitely one of what Mies would call an interesting idea. Um, yeah. Um, I also understood that. Um, again, I'm thinking about when we when we took a look at the the ordinance when it was changed, as you say, when it was changed relatively recently, within the last four or five years. Um, the expectation was that some right of way was going to be claimed from. This, the, the, my my memory is perhaps somewhat vague on this, but there was going to be there was going to be a need to claim some right of way from. Um, Grand River, or give some right of way to Grand River, and that was part of it. Maybe that was it. There was sort of expansion of the right of way on Grand River to make the sidewalks wider, and that you know, in in um, exchange for giving up a portion of their property, um, the property owners were going to be permitted to build taller, right? And that that right. and that in order to build taller in that area, it's given that it's relatively close to the river, it was going to require some really fancy footing. Um, fancy footings, right? That it's just not something that we wouldn't expect that it's just gonna hold these taller buildings. So in any case, oh, there was one more thing that I, that I, before I finally get to your question, um, that, because I know you were part of a, the effort on the non-conforming use committee, um, that there was a, an, an effort that was that was put in place to address, not specifically what happened at East Village, but, but, but it was happening throughout the city where the, the code didn't permit any, what they called structural improvements to properties Minor though they may be, if the property was an existing non-conforming use, that's now of course that's different from a different uh, existing non-conforming structure, in as much as the you know the difference between what's going on behind the walls as opposed to what's going on with the walls. But but as you know that there were some some um, minor uh, allowances were made for. Changes to these these existing buildings, like those in East Village, like those that are located in other parts of the city, that were existing nonconforming uses that permitted the changes. Perhaps like the ones you're referring to, I'm thinking of one property owner in particular that simply wanted to enclose a, an exterior. It was an exterior balcony. Just wanted to build ex, you know walls so to make to make that balcony an interior space. And as you say, that wasn't permitted because it was an existing nonconforming building, and there was no provision to allow the changes. Um, because it didn't fit with the zoning that was now in place, that was then in place. So um, I, I think that the difference between the, what was proposed then and what I see being proposed now is that that wholesale expectation of development is not included as part of this, that, the, that there, would be no, there would be no need for the property to change hands at a grand scale in order to make the, um, this potential zoning code work. Um, and yet,
0: part, parts of what this draft code anticipate is the long term. So I mean, one of the parts I find quite curious, for example, is that it imagines in downtown commercial properties that if there's currently not an alley running behind them, hmm. that we're going to want to anticipate that we want to create new alleys. And so you want to have a situation where if somebody redevelops a property without an alley that they leave a bunch of space in the back which will eventually turn into an alley, even if they're mid-block. And so again, it feels to me like a total disincentive for somebody to redevelop their property, where basically they have to give up land that they're now using as income-generating land. They would ha- the numbers would have to pan out such that they could make enough money from the redevelopment for sure to know that going under this new code is in their best interest.
1: Right. And so the the the, um, the restriction, of course, is just on what's being built at the back of the lot. I'm looking at the um at the, the standards right now, actually that's the residential standards. So I'm gonna flip up to the, to the mixed use standards. And this is under our um, placement that the, the, if there's currently an alley in place, the rear setback and we use setbacks at, part, at part, part of this code, say for instance, at the rear, as opposed to the build two lines we'd use at the front. The rear setback would be eight feet with an alley and 25 feet without an alley. And so those are the only the areas in which you could build. Clearly you're not gonna give up that land um, for you know, you would it would still be used for gathering, planting, recreating, um, um, whatever. But that the expectation would be that indeed you would have a um, um, you would set that potential property back twenty five feet, and before you build your garage, I I'm hard pressed at the top of my head to come up with what the current rear setbacks are, but I wouldn't be surprised if, depending on what area you're looking at, it's not at least comparable to that. I'm, I want to say that they're probably 15, 20 feet now. That's my best guess. But but truly, I don't, I mean, sort of top of my head, I don't know. And I, I don't have the um, the zoning code on speed dial. So I'll, I'll have to ask yeah. you to, to, to verify that. If there is an alley in existence already, the rear setback would be eight feet. So it's not that, I think that the, the, the larger um, I'll say complication in that particular, for, for, uh, by the way, I think that this is a really great idea, and I'll explain that in just a second, but um, I think the larger issue is ultimately, does that does that piece of property, when it finally, when all the properties in that block, when they all line up, when you collect all, you know, park, place, and boardwalk, you got all of them in line, um, who, who owns that alley, right? Is that something that the city would have to take possession of
0: that's exactly why it took the hub so long. The reason it took so long for the hub to come into existence, and I'm not saying I love the hub, but I'm just saying for any redevelopment to happen in the East Village, what it took is for years and years Mm -hmm. of people trying to piece together properties to get a monopoly big enough to do
1: anything. (laughs) Right. Exactly.
0: East Lansing is very built up downtown. And it's just hard for me to imagine that this would not lead to sort of spot changes where Potentially in 15 years, we're going to be playing a scavenger hunt trying to figure out which things were built under the form-based code because there's not going to be a ton of redevelopment. It's it's difficult for me to imagine that this incentivizes reinvestment in properties so much that we see big turnover and a sort of renewal downtown in terms of older properties that are perhaps not the ideal use changing over. Sure. Maybe I'm just cynical, but
1: you know, I, I'm reasonably cynical. And or um, you know, I, the, real, the reality is is all right. Maybe I am cynical as well. But the reality is is it's it's more that in my case that I just don't know. Um, you know what what is it that's that's preventing somebody from assembling a couple of lots now and rebuilding that exactly that, And I don't I don't know that there's a trigger. I don't know that that um, particular that you know the key to that. The difference, right? That, that what makes things work out economically, and what doesn't. If that's tied into this or not, um, I know. So, has there
0: I, been any study of the economics of this code?
1: No, that I don't know. I mean, that is that is one of the you know the things that I think that you know, we know we, we do as much work as we can. We put we put as much effort into um, sculpting or scripting the um, or changing the the language as we can. I think. Probably there are going to be some things that until the, the as they say the rubber meets the road we're not going to know how well or I'll, I'm going to say how well and I'll be optimistic about that. Not even allow the idea that it's going to be poor. How well this is going to work? That it'll be interesting to see the first couple when they do finally happen the first couple uh, projects that are submitted under the under this new code to see you know is indeed it doesn't make it easier to um, to administer is it something where the um, the developer or the representative found it was easier to uh, to make the, you know, the numbers work or to make the proposal work.
0: I, and what are some examples we could look to at other cities that have been really quite built up like East Lansing? The number I've yeah. heard is 97% built where there's been a code like this.
1: <laughs> yeah, to my yeah. knowledge, I, I, I'm not aware of any. I've got some experience, as you know, in a, a property or a project that used a form-based code, but it was built on... Um, what was actually part of well, it actually was still part of a floodplain when when it was built on, um, but it was moderated by a couple of dams that were placed on the Savannah River, so it hadn't flooded in decades. But it was so it was entire, empty land it when was it was rebuilt. Land. It was empty when empty it was land. built. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So um, what
0: so, what we should just make clear what this would result in is hundreds of properties categorized as what's called non-conforming, and that's part of the concern that. I'm certainly hearing from property owners is that this would render hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of properties nonconforming because anything that didn't already meet this code would legally count as non-conforming. And that's where it begins to get into that tricky stuff of what are you then allowed to do before you're required to basically knock down the building and start over.
1: That's, that's exactly right. And keep in mind that the, the difference, because we, we, we talk about non-conforming properties, but I think we need to be clear that there's nonconforming uses Right, that you and I have were part of a, a, a team that tried to address that issue four or five years ago, and those things that are that are what we refer to as non-conforming structurally, and so these would be non-conforming structures. The
0: right, so non-conforming the, uses, for example, is a house in an area that's been designated as single-family that's being used to house multiple
1: families exactly. or multiple that's, students,
0: more yes. more likely in most cases. So. Um, we should also just make clear that no property owner would be required to knock down a building and build a new building. This is just, if they wanted to make a certain degree of changes, they might be told, no, you have to start over, basically.
1: That's exactly. And that's the, you know, there's a potential pitfall there that if, you know, I, all I want to do is, you know, make this small addition. Well, the the reality is, is that according to this code, um, if it doesn't meet the, again, if it's more than say 20% of the of the of the building area, then there's additional regulations that are going to be put in place. I mean,
0: I... I... When we heard about this code originally a couple of years ago, there was talk about doing a stage in the planning process that would be a test drive of the code. So essentially taking this code and bringing forward some sample applications for either Renovation of a property or building of a new development, and it would sort of be walked through. Is there any plan to do
1: that? Yeah, actually, the the city had done. Um, I want to say maybe three or four. They picked three or four properties in the um, in the area that's going to be um, um, impacted by the the code, and they basically did exactly what you said. They've. Um, I, I don't know who did it. I, I think that um, either Darcy Schmidt or David Haywood could provide you with that information, but. I remember seeing them in a uh, in a committee meeting uh, <laughs> when we were still meeting um, over a year ago. Um, the The thing is, is that I and as much as so so anyway, without you know sort of w- admitting what what you're suggesting is a real it's a concern, right? It's I mean it's a legitimate concern. It's one that but sort of bugs me as to how how are we going to address that? The fact that you know, su- supposing um, I'm not in the zone, I'm just about half a block south of it. But let's just suppose um, the you know, a person that's next door to, uh, my, let's say my office, my studio, wants to make a change and that ultimately would impact me um, sort of emotionally, let's say. Um, and they wanted to make this change and make these changes and that ultimately that shifts the the setback of the property much closer to the street than it is right now. Yeah, I'd say there's a real potential that that's going to look, um, you know, I'm not going to say ugly, it will definitely look ugly. Um, uh, unique or odd, perhaps, but I'm I'm I would suspect that that we're going to see, and this is my sort of my again my rose-colored glasses, that that my expectation is that most of the this work is going to occur in those places that are um, that I'll say closer to Grand River than not that those places where that would that moving a property or two closer to the um, the back of the sidewalk, the right-of-way line, the build-to line. Would not look out of place at all. That I don't. I don't. I do not expect that there's going to be the sort of um, spot development, sort of you know the uh, the the 500 block of or the 400 block of Bailey or the the 600 block of Grove or something like that. That reality is that they're probably, you know my my optimistic outlook suggests that that's going to happen in some places where that are a little bit more dense right now, and then ultimately perhaps grow to those you know those more uh, those less dense areas. Uh, okay. But, but right. So that's, that's the best I can, you know, again, it's one yeah. of them. We're going to have to put, take it out for a test drive. I, uh,
0: yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> that's, that's, I, that's, it, I mean, really, truly. I mean, that's the way we, we've, we've, we've put our best effort into this and I know, I'm not, I'm not looking to defend it. I know you're not looking for me to say that, you know, this is the best thing that we've ever done. Right. Right. right? And and I know that you, you know, sort of myself and, and Cindy Williams and, and Chris Wolf, um, and Darcy Schmidt and David Haywood, and quite frankly, and David Pearson, right? He had a lot of input into, into how this might be best scripted, best structured. Um, and, you know, we also had several, you know, the people that wrote it were our planning professionals that have seen this done before. Um, we're, but, but yeah, that I would be, I would be lying to you if I told you that I know full well that this is going to be a success coming out of the gates.
0: So you you just named the members of the um, Shaping the Avenue Committee. What what would you say were the top three goals of your group in terms of what you were trying to do in this lots of work over the last couple of yeah, years?
1: Sure. So um, th- probably the biggest thing that I think that we had done, and in as much as with all due respect to the consultants that wrote this, that I think our biggest um, accomplishment was, or, or goal and ultimately accomplishment, was to streamline the text without losing the clarity that was provided by the consultant. I, when I was I was actually prepared, I spoke about this particular issue um, to a group of architects recently, and I was going back over the old uh, versions of the of the the code, and it was actually pretty remarkable. I, I remember, oh yeah, I remember seeing that. Whatever happened to that? And I just started all the pages that we went that we went through, and that stuff that just was either extraneous or didn't fit in East Lansing, or quite frankly, could have been confusing, or was way too restrictive. Um, we we cut it, and so um, we have streamlined the text. Um, I'll tell you, Chris Wolfe is a as a master at sort of when you know reading reading through this, and then realizing five pages on that we talked about that subject three pages earlier or five pages earlier, and they're they're actually at, at loggerheads with one another, and that sort of that cross coordination that's occurred. That you know, as we're reading, yeah, this looks good, but we're but we remember, but he remembers really well. Um, there was something. There was something a couple of pages back that didn't quite fit with what we've just read, and so he's. We've, we've gone through that. Um, I mean, just some of the things like the even even simple things like the zones themselves were initially called the general flex space, and now we're calling that the, um, the mixed use space, and the the area that's more residential was called like townhouse, small cottage space, and well, we're calling that residential. So we did a lot of. Um, of of streamlining that text in order to, to, I mean, we went through this several times, sort of front to back, um, probably aggravatingly so for the council that had hoped to see it within sort of six months after it was originally (laughs) introduced. So truly, I remember um, Tom Fehrenbach, the the director of planning, um, explaining almost apologetically um, to to council that, you know, this group has taken their time on it because it's, it it was, you know, I think it was well-written, but it wasn't right. And it's getting closer to being right. All right. So that's.
0: Well, and it is intended to be a change in our zoning code yeah, for 50 years. So
1: it's a serious. That's it is. Um, yeah. The second goal, this is more personal, I think, is that trying to balance my own thoughts on what I would refer to as kinder architecture um, with my desire to limit the regulation on architecture. Sort of, you know, you know full well that uh, as an architect, I have a vision about how things should be, but um, I'm entirely uncomfortable about imposing that. That vision on other people. I'm quite comfortable with explaining it to people. I'm quite comfortable with trying to teach people why I think that way and why I think they should think that way. Um, but I'm not comfortable with the uh, um, the, as you said, the 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 way that the code was written initially, supported a an aesthetic that was popular at the you know pre World War Two which is just lovely stuff. And in fact, that, you know, World War II, as we know, brought a, a schism in the architectural thinking. It sort of brought um, a lot of European thinking to the United States as they were, as they were fleeing tyranny in, in um, Germany and Poland. Um, and um, they brought their thinking to the United States. I, I would submit to you that, that um, they weren't necessarily advances that were made in architecture at that time. But again, that's, probably, that's, a, that's one of my teaching opportunities perhaps for another time. So in any case, in this, in this, for our purposes, the um, love the aesthetic that was proposed, it's my own aesthetic, but I'm not comfortable saying everybody has to build that way. And then the third goal um, is that, uh, basically, it's really more of a moving forward now, is trying to let people know about what, what, basically what we're doing right here, trying to anticipate some of the unknown impacts, trying to teach people about what the impact of the um, you know potential consequences potential upsides and you know, potential downsides that there are a lot of questions. This is a really dense document. It's an entirely different way of thinking about zoning that we've not used in um, in East Lansing before. It's going to take a, um, it's, it covers a relatively good sized part of town um, and, and a, to my way of thinking, a very important part of town, our downtown area. And so we've got to, um, we really in order, I, again, it's not, my, it's not my job to sell it, but it's certainly my job to explain it to people so that they can make that decision for themselves so I, I think that um moving forward with our, our sort of our final goal is is getting the word out and being making ourselves available to talk about what um, what is intended and listening to people that have objections with what's intended or what's what's proposed and finding places to either to make changes or to better explain that you know maybe that's that maybe it's just a misunderstanding there's an awful lot of of stuff here. I've, I've, again, my design professional associates um, are have been or are reading this. They've been asked by city staff to provide some some feedback about this. And I know you know a couple of them that have read it. Um, I mean, I've been living with it for two years now. But a couple of them have read it. They're they're finding it's it's you know <laughs> uses English, um, but it's definitely a different way of thinking about zoning and that that we're not talking about the building. On its own, on the site anymore. We're talking about how the building impacts the public right of way, the public um, greens or streets or sidewalks that it faces, and and what you know what changes might be proposed for those edges that are going to benefit um, the greater community.
0: Yeah, and that's why we appreciate you being on today because sure. I think. You are talking to the design professionals. I really want to see the people who are going to be the users of downtown and the property owners really getting on this and paying attention to this because they're the people it's meant for. right? The people who actually will be down there living there, um, going to restaurants there, going to school in that area owning the properties, leasing out the properties, they'll be the people who really live it. And so I'm hoping with this, we can get them more engaged. Andrew, did you want to ask any questions before we wrap up?
2: No, I think you uh, you two really got into everything. About- <laughs> I had the one question about uh, modifications and non-conforming buildings and then... You guys, you guys really come the rest. I'm just the producer over in the corner today. You're doing fine.
0: We appreciate your production work, <laughs> Andrew. You do a great job with that um, and with the reporting. So, All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much. And, and uh, we really appreciate you being with us today thank and you. bringing all this forward. I think you've made a lot of things a lot clearer, and Good. I'm excited to
1: bring this to folks. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Take care.
2: Hey guys, it's Andrew here, just dropping in to drop a quick quick word to remind you about our fundraising campaign here at East Lansing Info. We are closing in on the end here of our 2021 sustainability campaign that runs through the end of this year. And just a reminder to visit eastlansinginfo.news forward slash donate. That is eastlansinginfo.news forward slash donate. And consider giving today to help us continue to bring the news in a way uh, that helps East Lansing be informed. Thanks for listening.